Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Predictably Unique podcast. I'm Simon Haig, and I'm joined again by David Clive Price. David, how are you? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you, Simon. It's good to see you again. And uh, so we, we all think we're unique, but in reality, we all suffer to a greater or lesser extent from the same anxieties, fears, and frailties because we're all human. Uh, in this rich, probing, and at times challenging podcast series, David and I uh, will discuss our thoughts on how others can recover from anxiety, addiction, and constant fear by reaching their true selves and living a resilient, fulfilling, and rich life. Thank you, Simon, for hosting me in this uh, second in our predictably unique podcast series. So here's just a little bit about me. Um, I publish 15 leadership, personal improvement, and fiction books. And I've created a global coaching business, teaching professionals, executives, and business owners how to transform their mental health challenges into a fulfilled lifestyle and business that impact people worldwide. But it wasn't always like that. I learned from my own experience with depression and alcohol in particular, not feeling good enough despite the outward signs of success. But coming back from setbacks and black holes is tough, but it is possible not with quick fixes, but with perseverance and a step-by-step -step route away from fear and anxiety to having a fulfilled life and a successful business. You can find the real you within your hidden demons, rather than trying to be someone others think you should be. You too can find the resilience to bounce back from adversity and life's challenges. So throughout the chapters of my recent Hidden Demons book, I intersperse six life strategies for leading your life based on the real you, not on the person you think you should be. And each of the six life strategies, or six steps to well-being, as I call them, takes an aspect of the recovery process and illustrates it in some detail. So with these six life strategies as your guidance, you can begin to overcome the obstacles that stand in your path and to which we often have recourse. You can stop being a victim of circumstances or of being held back by others or whatever other rational stories we tell ourselves to prevent us from moving forward. Thanks, David. Uh, so I'm, as I said before, Simon Haig. Like David, I've written books. I haven't written as many books as David, but I've written three business books and there's a couple of other books coming soon. Uh, I've created and delivered training and coaching programs. I've attained uh, degrees and had quite a privileged career, I would say, with hindsight, during which I've been honored to meet global CEOs and politicians. And, you know, and I've put together deals worth multi-hundred million dollar deals in my uh, corporate and legal career. I've read dozens of self-help, self-improvement, personal motivation books, probably too many. I've probably read a, a couple of hundred but in reflecting during this COVID lockdown period on what has helped me stay together during these turbulent times and actually accelerate my business, I've reflected deeply on six recovery principles that come from 12-step programs. And these principles guide me today. I'm not perfect. I'm human, so I make mistakes every day, every single day. I've made a couple of mistakes today. 
Having reached a personal rock bottom in 2009, I chose a life without alcohol so I can experience life in all its rainbow array. This period has really allowed me to reflect back on the magic and power that's contained within each of these six recovery principles. The key concepts of willingness, open-mindedness, and honesty that are practiced within 12-step programs form a wonderful backdrop for value-driven leadership and a blueprint for a full, rich life of growth. These recovery principles, these six recovery principles, have raised millions of people out of addiction, have given wonderful happiness to countless families, and have framed the enduring success of some of the greatest leaders and inspirers through time. Why not try them and see what transpires in your growth journey? And I look forward to sharing more of them. So move from the constant pursuit of material status and financial external growth that is finite anyway, and, ex and at the expense of many, to a more inwardly focused growth that's infinite and perhaps combine us all closer and help us all grow together. For me, that's true growth. Thank you for those insights, Simon. Um, in this episode two, then, we're going to look at asking for help, comparing evidence, and revising the plan. So if you have a plan for your life and career that seems to have fallen to pieces, as happens with even the best laid plans, try not to think of it as a failure. Everyone experiences failure at some point. Many of the greatest business successes have originated in failure. You are a human being, remember. You are not an abstract project. David, what about the fear of failure? Human beings change, they adapt, they survive, and try again with perhaps a different version of the plan. Governments sometimes fail their way to success. CEOs are movie stars, rock idols. They've all known failure on the road to achievement. And in answer to your question, the fear of failure is normal. However, if we let it dictate our life and everything we do and all our relationships, we will never know success. No, I think that's powerful. And you mentioned relationships. How important is it to reach out to others for help? Well, um, it's all to do with perseverance. It's all to do with going beyond yourself. As that serial failure Winston Churchill once said, keep buggering on, known in short as KBO. But KBO, with a readiness to ask for help from fellow professionals, from your team members, from your family, and from your friends. Even if you feel alone in the world, someone will be there to offer help if you just reach out and admit your failure. It's all relative. And it's amazing how ready people are to share vulnerability because the likelihood is that they have been there too. They know what you are suffering and often they will share their own stories and they will help you look through your life at what is really going on. We, we live in a fast-paced world, and I know that COVID has kind of allowed some of us to slow down and reflect. And, you know, I've spent quite a bit of time with my wife and daughters doing things we haven't done since the 70s, which is jigsaws. And, and so we've, it's enabled us to slow down a bit. How important is it to slow down in this process? 
I think it's enormously important because the evidence is there if we take the time to consider it. Instead of rushing on to the next thing, which is what we all have a tendency to do, being perpetually in motion to fix this, solve that, get on with the next thing, get more results, you need to calm down, take a good long look at yourself. Not easy if you're suffering from anxiety or depression, etc. What if your failure was a success, if looked at from another angle? We never considered that. There may be more than one angle at this. There may be several angles. What if success or failure didn't matter in the short term because they're all relative? What really counts is, guess what? Our own happiness. We're always making these big plans without taking care of the engine inside. We need to breathe, breathe again, like I'm breathing now, and step back. We need to compare the evidence, revise the plan if necessary, but we can only do that if we remember that success or failure are only steps in the journey. They're not final. Yeah, I think that, that final piece of advice from you, David, about slowing down is so important. Uh, you know, we, we, we have a finite period of time. If we believe that we have one life, we have a finite period of time. And nobody, nobody is really judging us externally in terms of how fast or slow we're going other than ourselves. And, and I don't know about you, but I've, I've often self-flagellated myself for not doing enough, for not being for not being, I remember there was a period of time that every day I would write in the front of my diary, BNBA, which, me, which meant to me, brand new beginning, absolutely. And so I was, it's madness. It's kind of a form of madness. I was self pushing myself every day and then I'd end up drinking or, or getting anxious or whatever. So, yeah. so that was wonderful. And so I'd like to turn now to one of my six, uh, one of my six areas, which is working towards progress, not perfection. And this to me is extremely important. And in fact, I had the opportunity to mention this to one of my daughters yesterday and also in a counselor, a coaching session this morning. Progress is far more valuable and helpful than perfection from my perspective. Despite, and I suppose this is despite what some of the social media channels would have us, have us think. You know, they're often portraying perfection and wonderful, wonderful fast cars and the whole Hollywood scene and you know, billionaires and now trillionaires. We, but we will all fail. We will all make mistakes, as we've said before. I've made many mistakes and we all need help. Uh, and I think the biggest, one of the biggest failures is not trying. So that's, that's really great, Simon. Um, that really gets to the core of it. Um, so tell me a bit about this perfection that so many of us are kind of enthralled to. Yeah, I, I think perfection really is, for me anyway, I'm not a psychologist um, or sociologist or, or any of the ologists, but for, it's from, my, from my experience, perfection is a personality trait characterized by the feeling that, you know, you need to achieve some sort of faultless nirvana, usually through setting extremely high and usually unachievable self-standards. And I've mentioned before that I'm, you know, I used to be a lawyer, a, corporate lawyer and uh, I've written law books and I've, I've done major deals and the legal profession, I can only speak for the legal profession. When you got, when you get trained, it's kind of imbued in you that you, you, you have to be perfect. 
you know, you're a lawyer and all non-lawyers are lay people, which means they're kind of, they're, they're, they're a rung below the lawyer. And, uh, and I believe that for a good part of 10 years. Um, but I don't think there's any coincidence that, you know, lawyers generally suffer. They're in the top five or 10 professions for alcoholism, depression, stress, sure. et cetera. So it goes hand in hand. I think logic yeah. would say that. I find that a concern about what other thinks of you rather than what you think of yourself also uh, allows you to sort of self chastise. And again, I did that for years. I was a very much, I still am to an extent, a people pleaser. Uh, and it used to really matter to me what people thought of me. But today, because like you, I, I live a sober life, which means I have to, for my own health, my own, I said this to somebody the other day, um, who I'm doing a piece of work with, don't worry, I have to be honest for my own, for my own health, my own spiritual, physical, and mental health and psychological health. Um, so I, I find that, you know, it, it's a kind of a form of self chastisement in his book, Dr. Jason Fox, I think the book's called the game changer. He describes perfectionism as an elite form of procrastination. And, and I, I like that quote because certainly for me that, what, it's, what it seems to say is that a disproportionate amount of time is invested in the initial action steps of an activity. And ultimately, the task in hand usually doesn't get completed because too much effort's been put into the small stuff. And, and I've experienced that myself. And I, I do think it kind of go, perfectionism can go hand in hand with procrastination. So how is perfectionism damaging? That's a good question. I think... I think it can hinder progress in a couple of ways, just building on what Dr. Jason Fox said. I think the first way is leading to self-criticism and actually slowing you down. When you fall short of a goal, and I'm talking about myself, my mind starts battling with, with me, telling me that I failed. There's that little voice, there's that little demon, a bit like the... Um, the National Lampoon's uh, movie where the, the little devil is on one shoulder and the angels on the other. It's the little devil saying, Simon, you failed. You're a failure. You're not good enough. Uh, and I, this can ov obviously sap your energy and, and then slow you further down because you're reacting with your own demon. You're communicating with your own demon or you're defending yourself against that own demon. So, and you talk about hidden demons. Uh, and I think the second thing then is demotivating um, and even, you know, forming, uh, allowing us to be disillusioned. When we're so wrapped up with the detail, we tend to lose all the important self and situational awareness we need. So I think it's kind of a cloak of procrastination and self-criticism uh, and demotivation. So, so taking all that into account, um, what kind of progress can we make? Um, how does it help to progress rather than to perfect? Well, I think progress converse to, conversely to, uh, to perfectionism, I think is about moving forward one step at a time. As you said, Winston Churchill talks about keep buggering on, which I think is what progress is. One step at a time in a flexible, non-brittle growth way. So one step might be two steps and then you might encounter something that pushes you back to the first step again. But as long as you're generally speaking, moving forward one step at a time, taking a little bit of a, a rest, a respite, maybe even taking a knock. But as long as you know that you're moving in a, in a positive direction and you're being honest about it. And I think that honest self-reflection really is the anchor for that. It really is the sail, the, the, the compass for that journey. Um, so I think it's, it's moving forward one step at a time in a flexible, non-brittle growth mindset way 
I think progress provides motivation to keep going. The momentum it creates, I think, allows you to stop and admire what you've achieved and then propel yourself forward. And I've done that recently. I've, you know, I've been thinking, wow, the things that I've done in the last six months. And I actually had a friend of mine call me yesterday who I haven't spoken to for about six months saying, and genuinely with no hidden agenda, no, no jealousy, none of that. And he said, I'm just amazed at what you've done, Simon. I'm so impressed, you know, and you're, you're inspiring to others. And it was just wonderful to, to allow myself to stop and allow that to settle in. And my imposter syndrome didn't prevent me from positively accepting that, which is a wonderful thing. So it all, progress, I think, also creates an environment for celebrating milestones, mm. which in turn reinforces that impetus for further growth. So it's, it's a self-propelling virtuous cycle. Virtuous cycle that uh, gathers momentum very gradually. You don't have to have immediate solutions, uh, immediate um, perfect solutions, even less. Um, so your insights are, that are showing us that uh, overall, we need to step outside ourselves sometimes and seek help. Um, relate to other people in our network, share our vulnerability above all. Um, have a plan, yes. There's nothing wrong with a plan, but a plan to seek progress rather than perfectionism. So, No, I, I agree, David. I, I agree. And uh, it's been a wonderful second chat. And uh, I, think, I think that's the key. And I think it's all about balance uh, and just and that self-awareness around this. And I've really enjoyed this second chat. And uh, I look forward to the, third, to the next one. And I think we're going to talk more deeply now about living more in the moment and how we do that and then prioritizing things in our lives. So thanks very much, David. And uh, that was a wonderful chat. Thank you. Thanks. Simon, that was great. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.